do it again, do it again. Oh, man, thank you very much. Wow, well, Joey did a good job picking songs and everything else uh, today. Uh, today, my name is Jeremy, by the way, I preach here. I'm one of the pastors and delighted uh, to have you here worshiping with us. Uh, we're going through the life of David in the Old Testament, and I know you, even if you've never been in church before, you've probably heard about David and Goliath, but uh, we're going to rock the boat a little bit. And we actually said the story of David and Goliath was not the story of David and Goliath, but the story of Yahweh versus Dagon, very good, all right. And there's some other stuff there too that you may or may not have heard before, so if you get the chance, feel free to go back and uh, take a look at some of these sermons. You can download them or you can watch them, whatever you want. They're all for you, they're all free, and they're all awesome, (laughs) or something. But they're good, as long as it's the Bible, it's good. So we are uh, delighted that you have joined us today. Today, um, the sermon is a little bit different than what I sometimes do. Sometimes I just walk through the text and uh, sort of go verse by verse and explain things. With this series, it's it's a bigger macro narrative, so I'm having to not necessarily go verse by verse, but I'm boiling it down and telling stories, sort of putting it together like that. But this one's even more different than that. In this sermon, I would almost simply call a prayer. So this is not really a sermon this morning, but this is just sort of my prayer. And I'm hoping, I'm asking that you will join me in this prayer as well. Now it's going to be one that I walk you through, I'm going to talk about, but at the end of the day, it's still a prayer. It's just a prayer. So all we're doing today is you're sitting in your seats, and if you're joining with me, then you're joining in this prayer. The prayer is simply this, uh, the theme, if you will, if you're taking notes, if you don't want to write, you can just download them. But the theme is this, is we're asking God, I'm asking God, to cause me to see. The theme for today's prayer is to cause us to see. We're going to ask God to open our eyes, and you'll see that in 2 Samuel 5. And then we're going to ask God to open our ears, and you'll see that in 2 Kings, or sorry, the other way around, thank you. Ears first, eyes second. Eyes in 2 Kings 6, ears in 2 Samuel 5. So we'll start with ears. Today the title is Total King. Um, And you may be asking, well, Joe just got done singing about Jesus. And you're talking about David. And we've been watching David go from shepherd through all the ups and downs and twists and turns to where he's at now. And he's being anointed And he's placed before the people of Israel as king. So who are you talking about, David or Jesus? My answer is, yes. (laughs) Yes, I'm talking about the Messiah, the anointed one, David, Jesus. Today we begin in 2 Samuel chapter 5. And it is when David is being anointed. Up until this point, uh, initially, you know, he's a shepherd. And he's just out in the field, and then this strange prophet guy comes to him and pours oil on his head. He's like, you're the man. He's like, what? And then there's this guy, Saul, who was anointed, and he follows after the dark side, and his life goes down, down, down. Eventually, he's consulting with witches and falling on his own sword. David, on the other hand, his life's going the exact opposite direction. Everywhere he goes, he's a success, and it's not because he's some amazing dude, but instead it's because 
The Lord God was with him. David is with him, therefore he's a success. So Saul is going down like this, and David's going in the exact opposite direction. And today we see David sort of hitting the pinnacle or hitting the peak of his ascension, and he's being um, anointed again. Now, this is actually the uh, third anointing. He was anointed first as a little boy, and then he was anointed by his sort of tribe or his clan, the tribes of Judah, his family, his peeps, if you will. And then now he's being anointed over everybody, all 12 tribes, all the clans, all the families. Everyone's coming together and saying, yeah, this is our guy. So here we are then in 2 Samuel chapter 5. This is what the first four verses say. It says, Then all the tribes or the clans or families of Israel came to David at Hebron and said, Behold, we are your bone and flesh. So all the elders of Israel came to the king at Hebron, and King David made a covenant with them at Hebron before the Lord. And they anointed David king over Israel. And David was 30 years old when he began to reign, and he reigned for a total of 40 years. So what's happening essentially is this. I just walked you through in sort of a narrative way, but if you look in a structural sort of way, here's a picture of that. David's rise is described in 1 Samuel. Originally, it's possible these books were just one, uh, uh, one book, First and Second Samuel, but scroll length makes it impossible to do such a thing, so they divide them in half and call them first and second. And so in First Samuel, you get the rise of David, and now in chapter 5, there's this pivot. So he's, he's, he's ascended, now he is becoming the total king, the king over everybody, and the second half of the book, or the second Samuel, is going to talk about his reign. So we're at this pivotal spot right now. We're transitioning from shepherd boy, successful warrior, got hand of God is on him, something's going on here, to all of a sudden, yeah, now this is our guy. So 2 Samuel chapter 5 says this, following on then in verse 6, it says, and the king and his men... Uh, that's David now, went to Jerusalem against the Jebusites. Now, this time, Jerusalem does not belong to David or the Israelites or anybody. It belongs to the Jebusites, the inhabitants of the land. And David took the stronghold of Zion. That's another name for this holy city, Zion, which you happen to know I kind of like that name. And that is the city of David. And then in verse 10, this gives you the general theme of what keeps happening. David just took this city that Saul could not take, that Joshua could not take, that the judges could not take. David just walked in and took the hardest city to take of all. Boom. It's mine. And I'm going to call it the city of David. Why not? And verse 10 says, as a result, David became greater and greater for why? he's a good military warrior he's a smart guy he's a successful political candidate no for the lord the god of hosts was with him now i want to just point out something real quick because this will come back that word host is significant we think of uh the christmas story and you go oh in a multitude of heavenly hosts we're singing and praising god and saying glory to god in the highest and you imagine all these cupid-like fat little chubby things strumming their harps and making a beautiful nativity scene. And the reality is this. Host is the Old Testament word for armies. When you see this word, 
It means mighty warriors. I mean, these are the Navy SEALs, Special Forces, Green Berets, whatever. These are the bad dudes. <laughs> these guys are tough. All right, they're coming in. These are the hosts, the, the mighty men of God. This is the Lord God of armies, or the Lord God of hosts was with David. That's why he's winning. And David knew this. And he knew, verse 12, that the Lord had established him as king over Israel. God is winning his battles for him. And that God had exalted his kingdom, not for his own sake, not so that David can brag about himself, but instead for the sake of the people of Israel. So God is giving David success. And I want to, before I read any further, I want to give you a little bit of the uh, political, historical thing that's going on. Uh, we just sang about God parting the waters, you know, and people walking through it. What's happening here is this, is as you've watched the history develop, uh, back when the patriarchs were alive, particularly Joseph, Joseph was in slavery where? Well, Joseph wasn't, but his uh, pre- pre- uh, descendants were in Egypt, right? Joseph's children are enslaved in Egypt. And then, at that time, this is a big, powerful, majestic empire with pyramids and sphinxes and chariots, and nobody can touch Egypt. All of a sudden, strangely enough, Egypt is completely destroyed. We're not, let's pretend we're living in northeastern Mesopotamia or away from Egypt, and we're like, wow, what just happened to these Egyptians? They used to be so powerful. Now all we hear is that, like, their water sources have been destroyed and all their cattle are dead and all their crops have been killed by some strange massive hailstorm. All their firstborn children have died and these slaves just took all their stuff and ran away. And now the slaves ran away and of course if your slaves try to get away you pursue them and they pursued them and then all of a sudden for some reason well, these guys got bogged down in the Red Sea and they all drowned. <laughs> Well, Egypt is no more. And as a result, the Philistines and all the other Steens and all the other ites are saying, hey, cool, chains are off, the boss is dead. What are we going to do? Party! Let's take as much as we can. This is ours. It's a free-for-all. And so all these enemies are coming down on this little piece of land because it's the connector between the east and the west and the south. And it's this highway that goes through. If you don't want to go through the Mediterranean Sea, there's only one place to get around, and that's this spot. And so everybody wants it, and they think, okay, it's ours. Now, there's this little tribe of, you know, nomadic people that think that God has somehow sent them there. I don't know, whatever. And those people are there, and they can't even get along with themselves. So there's this guy named Saul, and he's thinking he's the king, and most of the people are following him, but he's got this little nemesis dude by the name of David, some shepherd, tribe of Judah, I'm not sure. Little clan, not the big one. I know if we want to be able to influence that area, we should support the opposition. Nations never do this, right? Let's send in money to these little guerrilla warfare fighter people and make sure that the king can't really rule over his people. So if this guy needs shelter, we'll give him shelter. If he needs to get supplied, we'll resupply him. No, 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 we're not involved in this conflict. We're just 
helping out a little, making sure our interests are protected. So all these other nations are doing this, and David's, you know, being supplied. He runs away from Saul. He gets his stuff. He runs back. He fights. He runs. He does what he needs. But then all of a sudden something changes. Saul dies. Saul's general is murdered. And Saul's son, the heir to the throne, is also dead. Well, who's in control? Well, I don't know. It's going to be a free-for-all, right? Everybody fight. Now we got a problem. Uh-oh. This guy David, who was boss of the south, is now uniting the whole place. That ain't good. <laughs> we don't want this place to be united. We want it to be in turmoil. That way we can just wreak havoc on it and go through it anytime we want. We do not want some other foreign power rising up and taking over the land. Uh-uh. Now is the time to attack. Hit him while he's weak, before he's strong and united all the forces and got things together. We got to strike, and we got to strike now. Go, come on, Philistines, everybody, muster the troops. It's time to attack. David, the king of Judah? No, the king of all of Israel. And so, verse 17 2 Samuel 5 says, When the Philistines heard that David had been anointed over Israel, whoa, all the Philistines went up to search for David. But David's intelligence services were good. He heard of it and went down to the stronghold. Now the Philistines had come and spread out in the valley of Rephim, and David did what David does. He inquired of the Lord. Yeah, shall I go up against the Philistines? Will you give them into my hand? And the Lord said, Go up, for I will certainly give the Philistines into your hand. And David came to Baal Perazim, and David defeated them there. And he said, The Lord has broken through my enemies before me like a breaking flood. Therefore, the name of that place is called Baal Perazim. And the Philistines left their idols there, their gods flee before the God of Israel, right? They fall dead and worthless on the ground, and they have to be carried off. And David and his men carried them away. So that's it, right? David won. Day is done. I mean, look, Saul's gone. You know, Abner's gone, his old general. His sons, most of them are dead. Everyone acknowledges my rule. My political campaign has been successful. I've defeated the Philistines. My reputation as the giant slayer is practically perfect. Let me sit back and rule, for there will be no more trouble or strife. From here on out, it is smooth sailing. My agenda's going in day one, and it'll be passed unanimously for the rest of my rule. No problems, right? I think you've read the story before. Doesn't quite go like that, does it? 2 Samuel chapter 5, verse 22. Look what happens. Oh, no, you're kidding me. The Philistines came up yet again. Again? Yes, again. I actually love this part of the story. Incredibly ironic, isn't it? The same problem occurs over and over and over and over again. Now don't sit there too quiet in your seats. 
I'm guessing if I asked for a show of hands at this point, a lot of people would say yes. <laughs> I think I know what you're talking about. The same thing over and over and over again. Ad nauseum. Never stops. But God, why don't you take this away? I am your chosen anointed one. You told me specifically through your prophet, through the people, through the elders, through scripture, through prophecy, through everything. I'm the guy. Why? Philistines are sinners. We are your people. And yet I deal with this problem consistently all the time. Lord, if you wanted to, you could just open up the sea and swallow them. You've done that before. Why can't it be like the Moses thing? You know, just walk through the sea and all of a sudden, done. (laughs) We're good, right? Why do I have to keep fighting this battle over and over and over again? I don't want to do this. I want to build you a nice big house. I want to have peace and prosperity throughout the land. I want my people to be able to worship without ever being harassed or bothered. Are those bad things? Should David not want that? And yet here it is. The same stinking problem comes up yet again and again and again and again. I think for me, this is one of the most encouraging parts of the entire section. The reality that God's chosen people may have to fight the same battles over and over and over again. He doesn't always take it away, does he? Sometimes he leaves you in the fight indefinitely. And he doesn't answer. He doesn't tell you why. He doesn't make any promises. He just says, hang in there. Be faithful. I'll take care of you. That's it. Keep going. Don't quit. I think we've heard that before. Keep going. Don't quit. But Lord, what? I'm telling you, church, it is left but to the incredible, meticulous, good, almighty, sovereign, omniscience, and power of God. I don't know. Why? He ain't saying. But for some reason, sometimes God calls us to the same thing over and over and over again. And when he does, our only option is to hang in there and fight. And fight and fight and fight and fight until the day you die. You just don't quit. This is David's calling as a Messiah, as an anointed one. One of his jobs is to fight the Philistines. Why wouldn't God just clear that up? Why wouldn't God just take it away? Wouldn't there be more fun things to do? Absolutely. But Lord, if we didn't have to fight them, we could just go to your temple and worship you all the time. Wouldn't that be great? No, you get to go out and get dirty. God knows better than David, and God knows better than us. And why it is we have to fight sometimes these dirty, messy, stinky, yucky battles over and over again, I don't know. But clearly we do. And David did too. Now I imagine, David's human, right? I mean, David is fully sinful. There are probably mornings, and see if this doesn't sound interesting to you, when David got up, just like you and me, and I'm just imagining this, but I bet, and I think I have pretty good reason for guessing this, that David got up on occasion and thought, Lord, man, seriously, 
do, we, do I have to go fight these people again? I mean, I just got home. I haven't even got time to reshoe my horse, take the dings out of my shield, sharpen up my sword, restring my bow, and get my arrows just as straight as can be. I haven't even had a chance to do that. I'd like to check the straps on my, you know, my whatever you put on horses, <laughs> saddle thing. <laughs> I'd like to do that, God. Get me ready for this battle. Please. The Lord's like, nope, no time. Turn around, go back out. Forget that good night of sleep that you expected to come home to. Put your stuff back on. Yeah, it's sweaty, hot, dirty, stinky. And go back out and fight. You know what David was probably thinking? Can't I just stay home? Wouldn't it be easier to stay home and not fight this battle? I mean, I'm the king. I can choose to do that, right? This time, he goes out and fights. What happens when you choose not to fight the battles that God has called you to? Wait and see. So here is David, 2 Samuel chapter 5, and the Philistines, and Goliath, and the other battles, and here we go again. <laughs> Round 2, 3, 4, 5, I don't know what it is, but... The same battle. The Philistines, verse 22, came out yet again. They spread out in the valley of Rephim. And when David inquired of the Lord, God said to him, Look, here's the plan. You shall not go up, but instead, this time, go around. Not head on, but from behind. Go around to the rear and then come against them opposite the balsam trees. And when you hear the sound of marching in the tops of the balsam trees, then rouse yourself. For then the Lord has gone out before you to strike down the army of the Philistines. Can you imagine what that would be like? The trees are moving. I think that sounds familiar. Isn't there another story like that? The trees are marching out to battle. What is going on here? Here you are in the middle of Mirkwood, I mean the forest. And your men are probably poking at the fire a little bit. Fixing their stuff, checking their twine sharpening their blades. No one's saying a whole lot because they know what's coming next. They probably didn't sleep that well the night before. Maybe it's a little drippy. Maybe it's a little dark. And they're wondering what the next move is, but everybody knows it's going to be a big fight. The orders are pretty clear. Once you hear this sound, you engage the enemy. And all of a sudden, What was that? Maybe. No, not maybe. I love this microphone. It's really cool. 
what is that? The trees are swaying. The leaves are trickling through the light. Some beams are coming through. Man, I imagine it was wild after that. First guy looks at the next guy. That guy looks at the next guy. Boom, they're off. They're on their horses. First thing you hear is a pitter-patter, pitter-patter, pitter-patter. And all of a sudden, that little breeze that's gone from is now going and the mighty thongs of the chariots and armies of God are rushing down upon the valley and destroying the Philistines. Oh man, what a sight. That would have been a good day. And leading it all is a still, small voice whispering in the trees. Can you hear it? Do you hear the little whisper? The voice of God gently speaking to you. That's my prayer for you and for me today. Open our ears so that we can hear. Call it the Spirit, call it the wind. Call it what you will, the sense, the feel, the phenomenon of the spiritual, the surreal. God help us, God help us to hear. Lord, open our ears, open our hearts, open our ears. Well, you've asked a hard thing, Jeremy. I know. Only God can do something like that. But I've seen him do it somewhere before. Where was that? Yes, I think I remember. 2 Kings chapter 2, verse 9. It's a little bit after David, but it's the same sort of thing. There's two guys whose names sound just alike. One is Elijah, and the other is Elisha. J comes before S. So Elijah is ending his ministry, and Elisha is getting ready to literally pick up the mantle. And he doesn't know exactly how things are going to go down. And so he's following his father, his spiritual father, and he's asking him, hey, uh, I'm not going to leave you. Um, father, bless me. You know, don't go. Uh, with... And here's what happens. Elijah says, what, what would you have from me before I leave? And Elisha asks him for a double portion of his spirit. And Elijah says to him this, 2 Kings chapter 2, verse 9, Wow, you've asked a hard thing, yet if you see me as I am being taken from you, it shall be for you. But if you do not see me, it shall not be so. And Elisha saw it, and he cried, My father, my father, the chariots of Israel and its horsemen. And he saw him no more. 
Then he took hold of his own clothes and he tore them in two pieces and he took up the mantle or the cloak of Elijah that had fallen from him. He went back and stood on the bank of the Jordan and called out in a loud voice what I want to call every day. Where is the Lord, the God of Elijah? He struck the water and when he'd done so, the water parted to one side and the other. Oh, God still parts the waters. And Elisha went over. Lord God of hosts, open my eyes. Cause me to see the chariots and horsemen of Israel. Where is the God? The God of Elijah. God, cause me to see your ranks marching out before me and help me to follow you faithfully into battle, not staying at home even though it happens again and again, but leaning in full force with all the strength of the Holy Spirit as the wind behind my sails. 2 Kings chapter 6 and following. The story kind of continues. Keep in mind that we had just heard about these chariots and horsemen of Israel, that they're unseen unless God opens your eyes. Now Elisha is involved in his ministry and Elijah is gone. Where is the God of Elijah? Well, when the king of Aram was at war with Israel, this is what would happen. I'll kind of summarize it a little bit. He would confer with his officers and say, hey, let's go over here and hide out. And when the Israelites are unsuspecting and not looking, we will sneak up on them from behind and destroy them. This is a good spot. We'll jump them. But for some reason, those silly Israelites kept hearing about this. I don't know how, but all of a sudden they caught wind of it. And the spirit via the prophet would inform the king, and so the king would tell his troops, hey guys, don't go over there. They're waiting for you just around the bend. Go somewhere else. And that king all of a sudden got kind of upset, and he's like, um, verse 11, which one of you guys is the traitor? Who's given them the inside information? I do not appreciate you telling the king of Israel about my plans. I want to kill him. Please don't tell him I'm coming. These guys, knowing they're in trouble, say, it's not us, my lord. One of the officers replied, Eli, shot. Oh, man, it's that prophet again. Oof, I can't stand those guys. He tells the king of Israel, even the words you speak in the privacy of your own bedroom. Oh, how's he do that? Go out and find where he is, the king commanded, so I can send troops to seize him. That's my problem. And the report came back. Elisha's at Dothan. So one night, the king of Aram sent a great army sneaking up on him. Many chariots. Got that? Lots of chariots. If you're a foot soldier, you cannot do anything against a chariot and horses to surround the city. Now, Elisha had a servant. It says, when the servant of the man got up early the next morning, he went outside. <gasps> there were troops and 
horses and chariots everywhere. Oh, man, we're dead, we're dead, we're dead. Oh, sir, what will we do? The young man cried to Elisha. Elijah's sitting there like this. He's like, what? What are you doing? Are you nuts? Have you lost it? Are you off your rocker? He's clipping his fingernails, and we're surrounded by the enemy. Elijah says, don't be afraid. Don't be afraid. Open your eyes. See. Lord, and Elisha prayed, O oh Lord God, open his eyes. Let him see. The Lord opened the young man's eyes, and when he looked up, he saw the hillside around Elijah was filled with horses and chariots of fire. That's a good day. <laughs> what happened next? You have to read the story. Oh, that's a good stuff. God, help us. Help us to see. Help me to see my king, my Messiah, marching out before me. The one who existed before Abraham was the great I am. He is the author of life. He is the leader and savior. He is the founder and perfecter of your faith. He goes before you in all things as creator. He existed before this world was. Here's a slide. In salvation, he was the sufferer par excellence. This is a slide about Jesus. And he goes before you in life as well. He goes before us in every way. God cause us to see. Why is it so important that you see? Why is it so important that you hear? Well, look, there's a lot of stuff going on around you that you don't see and that you don't hear. And the Bible makes that very clear. It says in Ephesians chapter 6, verse 12, that we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against rulers and authorities, against cosmic powers over this present darkness in spiritual forces of evil in heavenly places. That sounds scary. I'm in trouble. We're surrounded. God, open our eyes. For in fact, even though there are chariots and horsemen all around us, there is one who is exalted far above all other authority and power and dominion. We wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against rulers and authorities and powers and dominion. But there is one who is greater. And to him has been given all 
authority on heaven and on earth. And he has put every single one of his enemies under his feet. He is in fact the total king of whom it was promised to David. When your days are fulfilled and you lie down with your fathers, I will raise up your offspring after you who shall come from your own body, your own line, and I will establish his kingdom and your house and your kingdom shall be made sure forever and your throne shall be established forever. For unto us a child, an heir, a descendant, a rightful owner of the throne is born and unto us a son is given. The whole government shall be upon his shoulders and his name shall be Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, and Prince of Peace. Of his increase, you thought David became greater? Ha! Of his increase, the government and peace, there will be no end. And on the throne of David and over his kingdom, he will reign to establish it and uphold it with justice and righteousness from this time forth forevermore. This is Jesus, our prophet, our priest, our king, our leader, our captain. He goes before us fighting the battles that we could never win. Can you hear him? Can you see him? God, open our eyes. Open our ears. Where is the God of Elijah? Behold, he goes before you. Know therefore today, Midland Evangelical Free Church, that he who goes before you is as a consuming fire. The Lord your God. He will destroy and subdue your enemies before you and drive them out and make them perish quickly just as the Lord God has promised you. God, open our eyes. Open our ears. Cause us to see. Father, you are good. Your mercies endure forever. You never change, which means you always win. I've never seen you lose, and I know you won't lose again. Thank you for Jesus, who in his death even then wins. We pray that you would make his victory an absolute, unquenchable, unstoppable reality in our lives. Thank you for David, for Moses, for Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, all the rest. People who truly believed in you and followed your lead. God, cause us to see. In Jesus' name, amen.